Radio. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trojan welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And it's a great pleasure and honor to introduce you to my guest today, His Worship the Mayor of Cape Town, Jordan Hill-Lewis, who apparently is one of the youngest mayors we've had, almost, and he's been politically active for some time because it was during his high school years that he became active and during his studies at the University of Cape Town. He founded the Democratic Alliance Students' Organization. He also worked as Chief of Staff in the office of the former Western Cape Premier, Helen Ziller, and in August 2011, he was appointed to the National Assembly, the lower house of parliament. He was only 24 years and seven months old when he took office, which made him the youngest MP in the fourth parliament. Jordan, may I call you Jordan? You may, you may. Pleasure to I be with you. I quite like saying your worship. <laughs> but anyway, thank you for your time. And I'm sure you, I know we know you have a very busy time. I'm intrigued that you got into politics so early. Was it just, how did that happen? Was it a passion from as long as you can remember? I got involved in politics in high school already at Edgemead High School, where I grew up and uh, joined the party in Matric. Uh, this I can't, is the DA. Have you right. always been a DA member? That's right. That's right. I can't exactly say or pinpoint why politics became such a passion for me so young. I remember having, uh, you know, a very great history teacher who, uh, in grade ten, uh, saw some kind of interests in uh, the things I was saying in in class and the things I was writing and gave me a copy of Cry the Beloved Country and said, you have to read this, and I did read it, and also gave me a copy of My Traitor's Heart, Rian Malan's book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did Cry the Beloved Country have an impact on you? Absolutely. I I mean, I I consider those two books actually, in a way, I mean, I don't want to overemphasize them, but kind of life-changing. I mean, for for a youngster growing up in the early 2000s in South Africa, where uh, you know the the debate was was uh, led by Thabo Mbeki and and Tony Leon to have this world into a part of South Africa that I hadn't really paid a great deal of attention to before then was just amazing uh, mm-hmm. and really did spark an interest. Uh, so if I can put it down to one thing, it was probably those two two books and that teacher, but much more besides, I'm sure. Okay, and there was never, ever any other career you wanted to follow. Because no. I know you did these famous PPE, didn't yes. you? Yes, no, no, but I, I actually, I briefly did accounts. So, you know, I came from a, a single-parent household, mm-hmm. and like most single-parent households, my mother said to me, and she's a nurse, uh, and so, we, you know, money was always tight growing up, and she said you could basically the Henry Ford approach to university studies. You can do anything you want so long as it's law, medicine, or accounting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Famous words. Yes. Say, really. um, so I briefly did accounting and, and actually briefly was on the graduate program for Pricewaterhouse, but um, 
it, it was a tough discussion to say that I'm, you know, I want to change to PPE, but I, but I, I could not have been an auditor mm-hmm. and loved, absolutely loved doing my PPE. Isn't there somewhere in your history, <laughs> I say history and you're such a young man, where you were a shadow finance minister? Yes. Most recently, that was the, the position I held before I left Parliament. I was the shadow minister of finance for about uh, just on three years. Mm-hmm. So finance, financial issues, obviously quite important to you. Oh, yes. So I, I went to, you know, I did an honours in, in PPE as well. And then uh, later on, I did a master's in finance mm-hmm. uh, at the University of London. So I, I have an economics and finance background, and, and those issues really do interest me, but, but more so the policy issues than the, you know, the technical work of, in that case, auditing, but uh, econometrics as well. It's interesting, I'm just thinking now, to adjust one's mind from Parliament and what you're doing now in the city. How did you get into Parliament as such a young man? There was a vacancy, a, a, a kind of by-election, not that we have by-elections in South Africa for Parliament anymore, but there was a there was a vacancy because uh, one of our elder members of parliament was retiring, and so there was a single seat vacancy. And I was working for Helen Zilla at the time, and I had determined in my mind that at the next election, which would would have been 2014, then that I I wanted to throw my name in the hat for parliament. And so I went to Helen and I said, I'm going to apply now, so that I can go through the very rigorous internal selection process. Uh, and become familiar with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't want her to be caught unawares of that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like my prospects very much. Uh, and so I'm really just doing this in preparation. And she said, no problem. And I went through this very long process, probably a six or eight month process, a number of interviews and, and a battery of tests and eventually came out on top and was elected mm-hmm. and uh, was was surprised by that and at the time the uh, the party did not allow staff members i was i was working in helen's office as a staff member to become elected politicians and and so i went to helen and said look i think the the most important job that i have and the most exciting job that i have is to work with you this remarkable woman and so I want to carry on doing that. So can you change the rule? <laughs> she was the leader of the party at the, the time. The cheek of the youth. <laughs> the cheek, absolute audacity of it. And and they and they were prepared, she was prepared to do that, which I'm very grateful for. So I actually, for the first while, stayed on in her office, being her chief of staff, while also being a member of parliament. Yeah. I'm interested that you said. I mean, there you are, this very young man. You must. Were you? Is that when you were 24? Correct. Yeah. Going to this very senior woman, Helen Zilla, and saying. I want to go into Parliament. And she didn't say, now you just wait a while, get your stripes and experience. She just said, well, good for you by the sounds of things. <laughs> yes, Helen does, has always appreciated chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure she does. Yes. Gosh. So, and then that's how it happened. You went from there and you get, went through this long process and then were elected. That's right. And, uh, and enjoyed it very, very much. But obviously, uh, it goes without saying that we were in opposition and, and remained in opposition at, in the National Assembly. And so having risen through the ranks and becoming a front bencher eventually, uh, and then I, I was a front bencher, f- I was first promoted to the shadow cabinet in trade and industry, and then eventually in finance, I really did feel that um, I, I had done a, I had a great deal of fun, had done a lot of good work in parliament, but uh, I really wanted to move to, to local government where, where Helen had come from, where I'd first started working mm-hmm. for her, mm-hmm. first as mayor of Cape Town. Uh, and it is quite an extraordinary thing that the same office that I worked in as a 17-year-old 
uh, <laughs> for Helen when she was the mayor of Cape Town as a volunteer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is now my office. Your it's, office. It's come full circle. It really has. Yeah. Jordan, I feel guilty calling you Jordan, but no, I shall no, continue as opposed to your worship. Your, let's, what sort of music do you listen to? I see your first piece here is an excerpt from Handel's Messiah, a work which you say you love so much. So let me first say that uh, I grew up in the church, so my and and I, uh, you know, I went to a public school, but it was very definitely with a kind of Anglican bent. And I grew up in the Anglican church and then the Evangelical church. So most of my musical upbringing and and musical education has been uh, through the kind of old hymn book, um, yes, and and that's wonderful music. Um, and so I I don't listen to a huge amount of of uh, of kind of fine classical music, uh, but do do love it when I do get the opportunity to do so. And now I'm in this extraordinary privileged position as being a kind of patron of the Cape Philharmonic Orchestra. Yes, indeed. And, indeed. Um, and so I, I get to listen to it a lot more often. Do you go to some of the concerts? I do. I do. I try yes. to go and feel very guilty when I don't get to go, <laughs> but it is a, a, it's a remarkable uh, institution. And besides that, I have a seven-year-old daughter, so I listen to a great deal of kids' music as well, <laughs> and Disney music. I'm afraid is what most is is what plays most often in the Hill Lewis in, household. I see some interesting tracks coming up, but your first piece, as I mentioned, Handel's Messiah, and we're going to hear the duet. He shall feed his flock.
that beautiful excerpt from Handel's Messiah, He Shall Feed His Flock for Contralto and Soprano. And that recording we heard Helen Watts and Heather Harper with the London Symphony Orchestra conducted by Sir Colin Davis. It was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, our mayor here in Cape Town, His Worship Jordan Hill-Lewis. And um, it's great to have you here and to know that there's something like that, which is very precious, that music from Messiah, that means something to you. So we've got you into Parliament now in our, in our <laughs> interview. But then you said you needed a change. You wanted to get into local government. Was there a reason for that? Was it more hands-on? Or what made you want to get into local government? The work of an opposition MP is, uh, is very important, but it is mainly involved in... Uh, in a day in and day out making the case for how government policy is going awry and how to change for the better and holding the government to account and trying to uh, you know garner information that's useful for the public interest and so I, you know I, I did that for a good period of time and really the reason one gets into politics is uh, so that one can actually see the impact of the changes that you want to see happen in the world and to build a better future and the, really the, the place that you must do that is in government. Uh, and that's the purpose of politics is to, is to win political power so that you can get into government. Uh, and so I felt that the time was right that I, I would try my hand at, at, uh, at something related to, to executive office and in government in, in uh, South Africa. And was very passionate about the opportunities that uh, presented themselves at the city to go beyond what local government had, had traditionally done in South Africa, uh, to push the policy boundaries, uh, particularly in kind of energy and security, crime space, public transport space, to really test the limits of what the Constitution empowers the local government to do. <laughs> and uh, and so I've, I felt very excited to go and do that. And, and so, you know, as I thought about this and mulled over more and more during the COVID lockdown period, uh, and started to write copious notes and pages and pages of what I thought Cape Town could and should be doing, uh, I got more and more uh, committed to the idea that, that and, I should do it. And now you were still in Parliament at this stage Correct. when you were writing these notes and all that. Correct, yeah. This was this was through the, the, you know, the difficult lockdown stage. Yes. And really, it was the time where we started to see the consequences of the of the uh, Zuma years, compounded by COVID, compounded by a lack of decisiveness in the uh, in the government that replaced Zuma, we just saw start to see this really whole scale, very widespread fracturing and and weakness of South Africa's institutions, South Africa's economy, and so many of these things just became a lot more urgent. Mm-hmm. And you are now poised to get into that. And as I said just now, get your hands dirty, so to Correct. speak, in local government. And it's very exciting to be in local government. You really are the, you know, the things that get you into politics, the, to improve living conditions for the poorest residents, you know, to genuinely try to build a better future. Local government is, is really where it's at. I, I, I do think it's, it's I, I feel very blessed, very lucky. I, I think I have the best job in South African politics. <laughs> I like the way you still use politics, because in a sense you are still a politician, really, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. As I'm, mayor of Cape Town. Yeah, I'm elected by the Cape Townian public, accountable to the Cape Townian public, and, and have, you have a mandate to deliver on. It's like being at the rock face, isn't it? I suppose more than parliament, would yeah. you say, judging by what you're saying. It is absolutely at the, at the, uh, the, the coal face of, of delivery, and, uh, and 
building that better future. That's the point of politics. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a very exciting place to be. But then how do you get to become mayor of Cape Town? It's yes. all very well leaving parliament and going into local government, but presumably you had to fill someone's shoes, or what was the process? Yes, you... you before you, the voting, I mean, before the ups, uh, the voting... You're right to point to that. Uh, I mean, politics is, is not for the uh, faint-hearted. So there was an incumbent. Uh, it does mean taking on an incumbent, uh, which, you know, can be uncomfortable. Uh, it involves a competitive process. But the fact of the matter is that there's no position in politics that is guaranteed, uh, neither internally and uh, certainly not externally, not, not when it comes to the public vote either. Did you always want to be mayor you shook your head briefly no mm -mm. Oh, you didn't oh no if you had asked me 10 years ago working in helen's office whether i'd one day run for mayor i would have said definitely that's definitely not that's definitely not in my my plans but you know the first inkling that this this might be a great opportunity was just prior to and then in the very first months of of the COVID lockdown when I started to become increasingly desperate about the situation in the South African economy and what that was doing to the public, what that was doing to families, and really feeling a huge sense of frustration that I really couldn't, while I could uh, do something about it, I, I could talk about it a great deal in Parliament and bemoan what was happening, uh, I, I felt you know, a sense of disempowerment of actually affecting uh, the outcome. And so that's that's where I really thought perhaps uh, perhaps my my season in Parliament is at an end. And did you you must have felt as well? Look, if I'm mayor, I'm going to be able to do something about this. And boy, am I going to do something about this? Absolutely. Which you've proved, by the way. But we'll get on to your achievements shortly. But that's you must have been pretty confident that you had the wherewithal to take on something as big as that. This is where I differ very significantly from the kind of approach to, to office that I see in the president, and I've had the opportunity to discuss this with him. So, you know, I, I think it is, so, it is so tough to get into senior political office. You've got to have a clear idea of what you want to achieve. You've got to build up confidence internally. You've got to go through this primary uh, deal with all the sharp elbows of politics. Then you've got to have a public election and win public confidence. I don't understand what the point is of doing all of that unless you're going to do something and be ambitious in office and actually use the limited time that you have because no political career is forever unless you're living in kind of North Korea or something. Which you're <laughs> <Right>. not. Um, <laughs> do something. Do something, man. You've got to really use the opportunity and be ambitious. And so I, I was just determined. There's lots of other exciting things in life. This is a job that does entail quite a significant degree of personal sacrifice. So I'm not going to uh, kind of sit around and just occupy office. I'm going to, I'm going to make hay. <laughs> Get your hands dirty. Yeah. Who's that again? Yeah. We're going to take another um, music break now, Jordan. And um, this song you say reminds you of your youth, Iris by Goo Goo Dolls. Tell me about that because I don't know anything about it. You don't know about the Goo Goo Dolls? No. Oh, well, they're a fantastic band. <clears throat> uh, I'm pleased to be introducing you, yes, to, the, you to the magic of the Goo Goo Dolls. So... Uh, my youth, I, I listened to, I suppose you might call it soft rock or alternative rock. Uh, and out of, out of all those uh, very talented artists, the Goo Goo Dolls, perhaps lesser known, but uh, probably my absolute favorite. And this is probably their most well-known songs. There are other great ones. 
but for listeners of Fine Music Radio who haven't heard Iris, I'm very <laughs> pleased to be introducing it to you this <laughs> evening uh, or on the show. And, uh, and, and, and please go and, and look up some more on, on Apple Music or, or your favorite music source. Okay, you're in test mode now. Let's see what happens. Okay, good.
first for me, the Goo Goo Dolls, a piece called Iris. And uh, the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week, our mayor here in Cape Town, Jordan Hill Lewis. And um, do you, did you ever dabble in music, Jordan? Uh, you said you listened to soft rock and all that. Did you ever play a guitar, bang a drum, play the piano? I'm really sad that I don't play any instrument, but I will tell you that during COVID as well, I determined that I must rectify this this kind of life failure of mine, <laughs> and I bought a, a cheap uh, piano online and bought myself that yellow book, uh, you know, uh, keyboard for dummies. Yes, yes, yes. And and I I started working through that and got to about. They said that be, before I move on, I have to be able to do uh, C major scales at I think it was ninety. Uh, you, you know, a speed of 90 per minute. And I got to about 60 per minute uh, in C major scales and then decided I was going to run for mayor. Uh, so, so put <laughs> How that sensible. But I tell you what, I, as I said <clears throat> to you earlier, I've got this uh, beautiful seven-year-old girl and she has just started piano a few months ago, four months ago in January this year. And I can't believe it just shows you the difference in in ability to absorb new learning and take mm-hmm. on new skills that young brains have. The progress she has made in four months is remarkable. She's made much more progress than I made in the entire <laughs> COVID. Um, and she's already reading music. Uh, it's just a, it's just amazing to see. So it's, it's a great investment. And one day when I have the time, she will pass it on to me teach you a little bit yeah but it is amazing isn't it how that's why you have to start an instrument when you're young you do because it's like the times tables when we adults we don't want to learn that two times two makes four does it and um (laughs) you also just now mentioned about it's being a mayor is very uh, it takes a lot of your personal time yes and you're speaking very lovingly for your daughter your wife um are they fully supportive and right behind you and proud of you and give you the space they they really do they they're a remarkably supportive family uh, obviously you know when it gets to 7 or 10 or 12 days in a row that I'm that I'm not home for dinner or not home for bedtime for to, to put my daughter to sleep it does get uh, somewhat <laughs> annoying uh, so i have to try and be very disciplined about about my diary time uh, and and make sure that there is uh, you know sufficient family time in there um I'm not sure that it will be sufficient, uh, but but I'm, I must make sure that I that I am also, while I'm working hard to be a good mayor, also a good husband and father. <laughs> of course, that's important, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, this is a, possibly a stupid question, but just give us a sort of idea of your day, a day in the life of the mayor. Sure. I presume you have to get going quite early yep. uh, to get to your office, presumably, and then look at your diary and then proceed. Not too early because I, I I did make a pledge related to your earlier question that that I'd take Ava my daughter to school every morning, and uh, that's a great time in the car together in the traffic. Uh, I'm one of the only Captonians who actually loves the traffic because it means. And so we get up at about five thirty. We're out of the door at about six thirty, six forty, and and then I take her to school, and uh, you know I make her breakfast in the morning get her ready get her dressed for anyone who's who's the father or parent of a seven-year-old you know that that is harder than it sounds (laughs) and um and then after dropping her at school my day really my work day really starts where i I then head to the office i usually stop at a at a regular coffee spot to grab a 
take away a cappuccino and that uh, and then you, you know the day starts and it goes all the way through uh, probably to about 10 p.m. Mm. Uh, I, I usually uh, get home at around that time and what's what's a great part of this job is that it is so diverse every single day is completely different to the day before and different yet different again to the day after it and I really love that I, I travel across the city I, uh, I travel the length and breadth of the city every single community see the incredible diversity of Cape Town so it's, it's a great job I read somewhere that one of your very first jobs as mayor was examining a sewerage plant is that true <laughs> the very next day after I was elected I, <clears throat> I really wanted to make a point about that because mm -hmm. Cape Town's biggest infrastructure challenge, you know, really more than a challenge. We have a big capacity shortage when it comes to uh, sewage. And that is where a huge amount of my focus has gone this first year is in, is in securing the budget and the projects and the support teams necessary to fix that. And so I wanted to make a point that this was, that this was very high on my agenda and that, you know, people living in townships, in informal settlements in Cape Town, who are living with daily sewer spills and overflows, that that was not acceptable to me and that we had to, we ha we had to really do something about that. So I went to Kailicha to look at uh, sewer spills the very next day, the first day I, I was mayor, and, and also to look at a major wastewater treatment work upgrade at, at Zandvliet. We haven't yet had the problem in Cape Town, have we, that Durban had of sewage going to the sea, or have we had a bit of that? So, so we have got three what we call coastal outfalls which have been running for more than 100 years actually uh, one in Seapoint, one in Camps Bay and one in Hout Bay uh, where uh, that's that's the way that they've been designed there's pipelines that go far out to sea we haven't had anything more than that uh, w with our sewer plants failing uh, or being flooded and and being destroyed by floodwaters as they had in Durban uh, but we, we do have a serious capacity shortage at our wastewater treatment works and the quality of uh, what's called our effluent, basically the, the wastewater discharge uh, has, has slipped because of those capacity constraints. And, of course, we have to deal with those coastal outfalls because they, they may have been appropriate for, for Seapoint when it was a tiny village. They certainly aren't appropriate for Cape Town's long-term future, so we, we do have to find a way of... Uh, of treating that the the problem there is is space where do you put a wastewater treatment works in in seapoint or camps bay very difficult thing to know how to deal with but we do have to deal with it in our in our future of course i have to talk to you about load shedding so yes. we spoke about um sewage and that big problem and you've been trying very hard haven't you to get load shedding sorted for us here in yes. cape town and it can't be easy and you must be up against all sorts of opposition well, yes, time. Time is our, is our greatest source of frustration because yeah. in many respects, Cape Town and municipalities around the country started too late because our working assumption in the past was that uh, we just have to, you know, fuss bait. This, ESCOM will eventually fix this. And I think if there's any insight that I had prior to running is that my confidence level that ESCOM would fix this eventually was absolutely zero. You know, stone dead <laughs> and, and that's still the case by the way ESCOM is not going to fix load shedding private sector and municipalities will fix load shedding mm. and so we started 
too late, and that means that it takes time. You've got to build a whole lot of projects. You have to buy a whole lot of power. The people, the, the independent power producers or IPPs, as they're called, that you are buying power from, they have to build a whole lot of projects. So we have an e electricity supply shortage. The only way that that is fixed is by supplying more power, adding more power to the grid, and that is unfortunately a time-consuming exercise. Uh, so I wish there was a, a way to speed it up, but uh, but that is the biggest uh, source of frustration. It is such a big problem, isn't it, that's driving people and businesses mad at the moment. As, as you say, ESCOM is clearly not the place to look to. No. We're talking about sewage just now. Our water, we had that terrible water time um, where we nearly came to day zero. Yes. Um, just uh, related to the sewage thing, our water is sort of okay, isn't it? But basically we still have to be careful. It is okay for now. Uh, we've had a, we've had a very early winter rainfall this year. We've had a, a March that was one of the wettest marches on record, actually. So we are okay for now, but we do, we absolutely are not okay for the long-term future. We have to build more water sources in Cape Town, and we are engaged in doing exactly that. We have two projects that are already finished, the, the aquifer drilling projects on the Cape Flats and Table Mountain. And uh, next, we, you know, we've got... Uh, a very big water recycling plant that's due to start around this time next year, uh, then a desalination plant after that. So there's no doubt in my mind that we will need much more water in, in the years ahead, and, and we have to supply that ourselves. We can't rely on rainfall and we can't rely on, on dams. Mm. Okay, let's have a break from the <laughs> problems of running a city. <laughs> and I see your next piece of music is called Time of My Life by David Cook. And you had it at your, tell us the story of the, your wedding dance. Yeah, well, this is this is the <clears throat> uh, the song that my wife and I danced to at our wedding, and so it's obviously uh, you know a song that we have loved even before that when we were uh, dating one another. Uh, we loved the song, and uh, it's it's a song that's special and important to us. And so I thought I'd recommend it to you and to your listeners. I've been waiting. My dreams to turn into something I could believe in And looking for that magic rainbow on the horizon I couldn't see it until I let go Gave in to love I watched all the bitterness burn Now I'm coming alive Body and soul
That was called Time of My Life by David Cook and apparently the wedding song of my guest and his wife, our Mayor Jordan Hill-Lewis, uh, who's my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week. And you know what I was thinking when you introduced that song, Jordan, is your wife automatically the mayoress? <laughs> so in Cape Town's past, that was absolutely the case, uh, that the wife of the mayor was the mayoress. And in fact, in my office, there is even a... A chain for the mayoress which sits in a glass cabinet but it has long since fallen out of uh, vogue I suppose out of oh, use and oh. uh, and so we haven't had a mayoress uh, for a very long time but yes in, in theory that is exactly right so if you go for a formal meal or a formal meeting and your wife is with you she's the mayor's wife she's right. almost the mayoress but not quite <laughs> yes not anymore yeah <laughs> Jordan, I, you know, I wanted this interview to be a nice chat, and thank you for making it like that. But I just wanted to mention one or two things. We spoke about load shedding and sewerage and all that. But just um, a quick take, for example, because also we see you in the press quite a lot out on the street, which I think is a good thing, don't you? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> see pictures of you. Uh, as I said, keep on saying hands on. Homeless people is really quite a problem in Cape Town at the moment, isn't it? Yes. And you've got to be politically so careful how you handle it otherwise you get slammed from all sides that's right and also the the legal framework in south africa is incredibly restrictive for actually handling this issue so you know no person may be removed in anywhere in south africa from their structure their abode no matter how informal that is without an order granted by a court an eviction order and to even apply for that order you have to offer alternative accommodation uh, to that person so even if you're under a blanket under a bridge exactly so so this last uh, 16 months or so, I've really focused on just expanding the uh, the alternative accommodation that we can offer mm-hmm. uh, so that we can then go and make that offer in a, in a you know, very caring way and offer a whole lot of top-up uh, care and support on top of that as well, not just accommodation, but training programs and help with mental care or addiction treatment. Uh, very, very prevalent among uh, homeless people is, is uh, some sort of addiction. And so we've really focused on that. We've now gone and offered it many, many times. Where, when it is repeatedly and persistently refused, then we have to go to court and ask for that eviction order. We are now at that point, but we would never have been able to get to that point had we not first greatly expanded the amount of alternative accommodation that we were able to offer. And we do now offer that, uh, you know, so far running at a quarter of a billion rand, 253 wow. million rand that we are putting wow. into the expansion of our safe spaces in the city. The other big problem, um, and I think these are questions that the man in the street would like to ask you, is this terrible business of crime on the Cape Flats and now kidnapping all these children. That must be a bit of a headache as well for you. It's absolutely front of mind for most Capetonians and for good reason uh, in South Africa as well. You know, the, the crime statistics are heading in the wrong direction. Uh, crime is going up, not down. But there are parts of Cape Town. Firstly, it's important to remember Cape Town uh, has this extraordinary uh, phenomenon, really, where nearly half of all of our violent crime in Cape Town is committed just in 10 police precincts. An extraordinary statistic. Mm. Uh, so crime is extremely concentrated in uh, in Cape Town, 
And so we have topped up and kind of bridged SAPS's inability to properly police those areas as they are the uh, organization or the state institution primarily responsible for fighting crime. But we have gone and, and bridged what they are not able to do by putting uh, you know, more than a 1,000 of our own officers into those 10 hotspots that account for nearly half of Cape Town's violent crime. And we actually have seen that model deliver results uh, and bear fruit. So if you look at recent crime statistics from across South Africa, uh, crime is very sadly and concerningly going up in almost all of South Africa. But violent crime is ticking downwards in Cape Town. That's not to say that Cape Town is safe, uh, not not by a, a, a long, not by any means. But it is actually ticking down, and that model is showing that it has the potential to to bear fruit uh, and bear further fruit in the in the in the medium term. So we'll carry on with that. And those officers actually don't do anything that's rocket science. They do good old-fashioned Bobby on the beat policing. They are visible. They drive around with their blue lights on. They uh, stop suspicious-looking vehicles and search them. They, they, they search people. They respond immediately uh, to street crime, and it works. They, they recover hundreds of illegal uh, firearms off the streets, hmm. hundreds of kilograms of, of drugs that they recover just by being on the street. Being uh, seen, being yeah. visible, the old story. Hmm. Um, Jordan, I know there are lots of questions I could ask you, but I'm much more interested in <laughs> some major things like this. And just one last thought. One of the other blights for us here is the transport, the train situation, which is such a tragedy because Cape Town has such beautiful train lines and train journeys. Mm. That is so true. In fact, my meeting just immediately prior to this one was with uh, PRASA, which is the Passenger Rail Authority of South oh, Africa. Uh, and some of the statistics that they shared with me were, I, I mean, I, I, I knew these, but, but hearing the numbers just shocks you once again. Uh, you know, five years ago, they used to carry 600 million passengers around the country every year. Oh. And they, that number has reduced by 97.5%. They're now carrying 2.5% of what they used to carry just just five years ago so the service has all but collapsed in south africa and so i'm a very great proponent and made this case to them again in this meeting just prior to this one that we uh, we need to have the devolution of of passenger rail to the cities i i really believe this is very important for for uh for all south african cities actually so that uh, so that they can work again in the future. And we are very keen to take over the management of passenger rail, and we'll keep making that argument because you cannot. We spoke earlier about about Cape Town's growth. You cannot envisage a future for Cape Town where it has 10 million people or more uh, in the decades ahead without a properly functioning world-class rail network like every other world-class city anywhere on the globe has. And, and so we must have that. And the way that we will have that is, is, frankly, if we run it. Well, things, as we know, are looking up in Cape Town, thanks to you and your incredible enthusiasm. Thank and you. once again, kind. I use the phrase hands-on. And also the fact that Cape Town is, we all know, the best-run municipality in the country. So let's hope that these things can get sorted out. But I know you have stiff opposition from all these things. But, Jordan, we have to end now. And 
I'm quite chuffed that you've chosen a song by your daughter, a song that your daughter loves very much, uh, The Circle of Life from... Elton John and uh, Le Boheme. Yes, sorry, I just I saw Carmen here and I thought, what? <laughs> no, no, from sorry. The King, <laughs> no. Sorry. Tell me about this and why you've chosen it. Well, my daughter loves The Lion King and loves that song. We also love uh, the Kruger National Park, and I must tell you one funny story to end with. We, we, we try to escape to the Kruger National Park once a year, and we love that place. I think it's one of the most remarkable places in the world, actually, uh, and m- many more South Africans should experience it. So if you haven't been, please go. <laughs> but we have this family tradition now because my daughter loves the song that whenever we enter the gates of the Kruger National Park, we play <laughs> the circle of life. What a brilliant idea. And isn't that a great tradition? And, uh, and, and so whenever I hear it, it also connects me with one of my favorite places in the whole world. So well, there you are. And I dare say you need that relaxing as well. Absolutely. To take, get rid of this political mayhem that you must work under or in. My guest has been uh, His Worship, the Mayor of Cape Town, Jordan Hill-Lewis, and thank you very much in your busy day for coming by and sharing some thoughts with us and all strength to your arm. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for those kind words, and it's been great to spend this time with you. But the sun rolling high through the sapphire.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.
If 